Welcome to the seventh episode of Play On Canada podcast, where we share coast-to-coast stories across Canada about Play On Street Hockey events. I'm Ms. Capano alongside Brandon Scott. We were just talking about barbecuing in the summer. So let's pick up on that. Well, Vincent, uh, as our viewers probably know, can already tell, I love being outside. I love the sun out. And what better way than to cook your meal on the barbecue? It, it right now, just uh, I'm trying to learn different tricks and hacks to really fine-tune my grilling skills right now. So uh, maybe this uh, some of our listeners right now could chime in, maybe toss a lot, a couple tips to me. But, uh, you know, I'm just trying to expand off my burgers and hot dogs menu. You know, maybe I want to spoil my family a little bit on the grill. Uh, what about you, Vince? Are you uh, the grill master? Uh, I love steak. It's one of my favorites. But what are some of the toppings that you put on your hot dogs or hamburgers? Well, I, I love cheese. So cheese is definitely a go-to. Uh, pickles. Yeah, I'm a pickle guy. And uh, you can't go wrong with your different sauces. Uh, I love Chipotle sauce, though. Throw that on oh. a burger any day of the week. And uh, you know what? I I like a little bit of crunch. I like those uh, those crispy onions you could buy at a grocery store. Throw that on a the burger. They're just delightful. And of course, onion. Can't forget the onion, Vince. <laughs> and now I hear our viewers' stomachs turning, wanting hamburgers and hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I'm hoping to get some tips, so maybe I could roast a chicken or maybe nail down a steak because uh, I wouldn't trust myself cooking on the grill with that. But the funny part is I've been watching MasterChef, MasterChef Canada and MasterChef uh, from the U.S. trying to learn how to cook. So it's funny how you said that you're interested in barbecue because I'm, I'm trying to learn how to cook. Yeah, exactly. I just uh, I want to throw on an apron, get the spatula out, and uh, you know have at it on the grill, and have Gordon Ramsay yell at me. Exactly. Well, th- I'll save that for my roommate or uh, my family members. I'm sure they could fill in the bill when it comes to yelling at me. You know, especially if I burnt something. I know. Uh, I know. I could trust on them to let me have it. Oh, no doubt. Well, we know our next guest is not going to yell at us. Paul Henrik, a former broadcaster. With the Toronto Maple Leafs, lots of insight on his career and also upcoming Leaf moves. But what are your thoughts? What can you tell us before we talk to Paul? Well, just a a listener's discretion here. We recorded this podcast a couple weeks ago, so we had this saved for a little bit. That's why if anything sounds a little outdated or anything, that's the reason why. Uh, But Paul is a fascinating story. Uh, He certainly loves the talk, so that goes hand-in-hand with this podcast. And it's just kind of cool how uh, he moved all over Ontario before he really settled down his career uh, working for the Maple Leafs. But again, a very interesting uh, person, and I don't think he'll ever forget a player's name or a stat. He just has a memory of an elephant. You could say that. What about you, Vin? I, this is my second time interviewing him, and as you said, he has a wealth of knowledge. He's an incredible person, and I just love hearing him speak. It's it's one of my favorite things in the world, and I miss him. I miss him on the least broadcast, but he's doing well, and let's, what do you say, should we head to the episode? Exactly. Let's go to it. Paul Hendrick, Play on Canada podcast, next. Welcome back to Playoff Canada podcast. Paul Hendrick, a longtime Toronto Maple Leafs broadcaster from 1995 to 2020 and host one of my favorite podcasts, The First Question Podcast. 
a big fan of people, sport, and history. Paul, it's our second time recording, so I appreciate you coming on. And how are you? So great. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks, Vincent. Thanks, thanks both you guys. Uh, good. Just uh, not watching a lot of hockey, to be honest. Uh, the last real hockey I watched was Canada winning the World Championships and seeing Nick Paul, who's a good close family friend, and Connor Brown, who I've known for an awfully long time, uh, combined. That, to me, was fun. But since the Leafs have uh, been beaten out, I saw the overtime of Vegas and, and Montreal in Game 3. Uh, that's it. I mean, I've, I've got no dog in the fight, really no interest. And, and I mean, that might sound disappointing to a lot of people. And I know the hockey's been great and the officiating not so great. But I really have no interest. I think I'm a lot like many Leaf fans who uh, feel let down with what happened, you know, at the end of the season. And uh, good on Montreal, good on all those teams, especially the Islanders as well, to get as far as they've done. But I don't really have a, a real interest in it. I mean, I can talk about it. I certainly know what's going on. But to actually sit down and watch an entire game, I haven't done that. Yeah, it certainly doesn't help that uh, we're starting to get some nice weather here in Ontario. and The sun is shining, so I bet you, you want to spend some time outdoors. But before we really uh, nickel and dime our way down to hockey talk, at first, Paul, I want to ask you about your career. Uh, mm-hmm. You spent 41 years uh, reporting. You all over Ontario, starting with the Sault Ste. Marie, Hamilton, and of course, Toronto. So uh, I just want to know uh, a little bit about how you started and what kind of got your foot in the door. Well, I was the uh, yearbook, sports yearbook editor uh, at, at Lauren Park High School in Mississauga, my grade 13 year. And I mean, there was an interest there, but that didn't necessarily mean I wanted to get into this. But I talked to people who I knew back then, and they said they weren't surprised I got into what I got into. And, and I really don't recall what might have turned it over, but they said they saw something. But I went to U of T, got a degree in political science, but thought I wanted to go to law school, not really knowing what is entailed of going to law school, um, you know, passing your LSAT well, uh, and then getting into law school and then doing what you have to do to be a lawyer. And uh, there's no way I could have done that. Um, my daughter's a lawyer um, and she's a lot sharper than I am. And and it, you've got to have a particular mind to want to go in to do that. But I, at least I thought I did. So what happened once I graduated, um, I applied to Ryerson. I thought that would have been the route to go. And, and I actually was invited in for an interview. And uh, But the um, counselor who talked to me at Ryerson said, why do you want to come back for four more years when you've just done four years? try to get some practical experience somewhere. So what I ended up doing was going to a a school called Career Canada, right across from St. Michael's Hospital. And it was a six month program, but I got in there and it wasn't very good. It wasn't very good at all. But six weeks later of being in there, one of the guys who was in there, this guy named Steve Boyce, a tremendous voice, he was a former truck driver. He got a job in the Sioux. And Scott Matthews, the then sports director up there, they were looking to hire another sports announcer. And he got a hold of me. Uh, I sent Matthew Scott a, a tape. I flew up, was interviewed between the airport and Sault Ste. Marie, which is about a 25 minute drive. Scott had picked me up, the sports director. I uh, did a few things in the Sioux just to show what I can do. But I was green. I was greener than the grass at BMO Field. And, and so I flew right back home that night. Uh, I had a corduroy brown jacket, another jacket, a couple of mix and match pants, three ties, 
borrowed a hundred bucks from my dad, and I flew back up the next day to the Sioux, stayed on Steve Boyce's uh, floor, a carpeted floor in his apartment for two weeks until I got my own place and started up there at $175 a week in August of 1979. And uh, they could have paid me $75 a week and it wouldn't have mattered. But I was uh, I was uh, working hoo, 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 uh, Monday, what day is it? I, I had Thursday and Friday off, but I worked Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and this was in news. And we had radio, we had AM, F, uh, FM radio to do, and we had uh, TV. So I, I was learning how to report and I would apprentice with some of the senior reporters. Uh, and then, but two weeks in, I was ho- uh, anchoring weekend news, and it was the scariest thing. And when you've not done it, and we're not talking teleprompter, which isn't easy to read off, if you've got to just read comfortably and, and sound like you've got a bit of an authoritative voice, it was awful. I was terrible. Um, my radio newscast, I kicked it around like a, a, a Euro 2021 soccer match. I was bad. Um, but you stick with it. You love what you're doing. You know this is what you want to do. And I got to do so many things. So I was a year in news. Uh, Monday night, I covered City Hall. Tuesday night, I covered School Board. Wednesday night, Public Utility Commission. Thursday, Friday off. Saturday, Sunday, in the newsroom uh, doing uh, morning news from 6 a.m. till 12.30. Go home and then come back at 4 o'clock to anchor uh, the 6 and 11 o'clock news. They were long days for 175 bucks. But I wouldn't have traded it in for anything. But a year later, I got into the sports department and uh, got to cover the Greyhounds who went on that tremendous run. And Terry Crisp, John Van Beesbrook, Ron Francis, I, Doug Shedd, and I can go on and on. They were just outstanding, outstanding guys. Bob McKenzie's brother-in-law, John Goodwin, he won the Ontario Hockey League scoring championship for us that year. And uh, it was just a magical run. And and I was there for uh, two years, three months. This is a, a long story getting longer, but then I had a chance to... I knew it was time to move on, and I ended up uh, working in Hamilton at CHCH, where I would uh, stay for the next 17 years. One of the things, Paul, that you told me when we, when we last spoke was there's three things that you followed in your philosophy. Respect, be, be prepared, and common sense. Yeah. Best words of advice I think anybody can give an uh, upcoming broadcaster or a journalist. Yeah, common sense, so Vince, isn't all that common, even for the, the best of us, right? But you at least go in with that sort of game plan. The respect is really important, to, to respect who you're talking with. And I was always honored that people would give me time to talk to me. Like they would give of their time to talk to me. That always blew me away. And that always inspired me, especially if we were going in to talk to a particular person or a hockey team, to be as prepared as I possibly could be. Because if they were going to give me of their time, uh, I was going to damn well be prepared to know what I was talking about as best I can. And and I think, uh, especially in a lot of one-on-one interviews where somebody knows that you've done your research. Like, I mean, really put some work into it. It makes the entire difference uh, for them, for you. You get a better product. Um, But again, the respect is the one thing. And, you know, you you get a lot of, and I hate to use the term punks because it sounds so derogatory, but you get a lot of punks on, on social media who've never had to do this for a living, never had to do it every day. They've got their newspaper guys that they don't like. They've got their television guys that they don't like. Unless they've actually done it for a living, uh, they should tail it back a bit. But 
it's social media, it's passion, it's sport, and that's what it's all about. It's just sometimes you got to deal with some people who aren't very nice and, and realistically aren't, aren't I, I don't want to say educated, but just, just lack a lot of common sense. So, But that's all part of it. You've got to have skin that's uh, an inch and a half thick, and, and you've got to proceed. And you can only imagine what it's like to be a hockey player in the city of Toronto when things aren't going well. Uh, you're a target. And when your season ends, you're a target until the opening face-off of the following season. And then it all ramps up again. And it doesn't matter what you're making because you can't put a figure on that. Uh, when the expectations are high and you expect as a player to do well and it doesn't go as well as it did for Mitch, Austin, and, and the rest of the guys, it hurts. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And, and they don't look at a bank account and think, hey, look, look what I just cashed this week. There's a lot of personal pride involved. So, you know, to get back to what you're saying, Vince, uh, the respect's important. And um, because all these people, regardless of what they make, are, are they're, they're us. They're just people. And I just think you get better results and have a much more enjoyable career. Uh, and I can look back on 41 years quite proudly and pissed off a few people, but not a lot and still think I got most of the answers that, I wanted to get from them and I just maybe went around it a certain way. I guess the, that goes with the saying, every rose has its thorn, right? Uh, it where it's, uh, I, I want to ask you about how uh, sports played a factor in your career. I know you started, it sounded like you really got that journalism bug where uh, you, you just wanted to know more and investigate. Uh, but I want to know yeah. the impact sports had on your life with all this being said. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I grew up in Naranda, Quebec, and it's the hometown of Dave Keon. And uh, I was 10 years old when the Leafs, last won their Stanley Cup. And I got the bug the year before in 1966, and I really enjoyed watching goaltender Roger Crozier lead Detroit uh, as far as he did in 65. No, 66. They ended up losing to Montreal. Anyway, he won the Conn Smythe Trophy uh, just as, as the goaltender, despite, despite not winning the Stanley Cup. And then the following year, the Leafs, they win the two rounds and, and win the Stanley Cup and the excitement that went with it. Uh, I was from Naranda, Montreal, had Jacques Laperriere. Jacques is from Rouen, the Twin Cities, with alongside Naranda. We had Dave Keon and Kent Douglas, who wasn't with uh, the Leafs for that playoff run, but he was certainly a, a big role player with the club during that season, played 40 games, I believe. And and so there was a Naranda aspect. And it was, you either cheered for Toronto back then or you cheered for Montreal. Rouen and Naranda were basically French and English. And if you were French, you cheered for Montreal. If you were English, you cheered for the Leafs. Although I had a lot of English friends who cheered for the Montreal Canadiens because their parents were from there. Uh, my best friend, Ted Brewer, growing up. And there was nothing I wanted more than to see Montreal lose. So to, to see the Leafs win the Stanley Cup that year in a year where they shouldn't have won it, uh, I think they finished third in the regular season. Uh, but managed to to beat Chicago and then beat uh, the Montreal Canadiens in the final. It was so exciting. So the bug is lit. And then my sister Susan, her best friend then was Chris, Christine Hellman, Christine's mother, uh, Christine's mother's sister. Christine's aunt was married to Dave. And I remember Hugh Gat Hellman calling my mom. We lived on Gatineau Street in Naranda, 65 Gatineau, uh, apartment, three-bedroom apartment. Tell Paul to get over here quickly. Dave's going to be here in about 15 minutes. Well, I beat it down the street as quickly as I can and waited in the backyard. And then I, all of a sudden, you know, at least 10 days to two weeks after winning the Conn Smythe Trophy in the Stanley Cup, there's Dave Keon. 
And it was just, oh, my God. And then to even add on to that, I was an altar boy, Blessed Sacrament Parish in Naranda. I was the altar boy uh, under my parents' instructions and Monsignor Caulfield's uh, request. Uh, I did Monday to Friday Mass at 8 a.m., and then I went to school. My dad would drop me off on, on route to work. He was a geologist. And uh, because of that, I got to do all the weddings. I got to do all the funerals. For a kid with hockey cards being five cents a pack, you'd get 50 cents a funeral and usually a buck a wedding. And that, that resulted in a lot of hockey cards and that bad gum. But I had access to that. But at 8 o'clock Mass, Monday to Friday in Miranda, there was a, a Polish family. And then just on the other side of the aisle, Dave Keon Sr. and, his, and his, his wife. So Dave Keon's mom and dad. They were there all the time. And I remember Dave's uh, dad passed away. I'm going to go January 71 or somewhere around then. And myself and Ted Brewer got called out of grade 7. Uh, on a Monday morning, cold, cold, bitterly cold day, we were going to the church to uh, to be the altar boys for this funeral. Entire Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey Club's there. Entire t- the church is packed. The Keons were a very well-known family. I remember telling Dave that we got five bucks for that funeral. Dave, we got five dollars. So when I'm telling you, you get fifty cents for a funeral. Multiply that by uh, ten times, and it was that's it was, quite a pay raise. It was quite big. So the bug is there, and and you're a Leaf fan, right? You're a Leaf fan. The other thing is, my mom and my dad's from Ottawa. My mom's from Perth. I grew up being a diehard Ottawa Rough Rider fan. Russ Jackson, uh, the quarterback of the Ottawa Rough Riders, those great years through the '60s. I went to his football school in ni- uh, 1970. Between the Leafs and the Riders, they dominated everything. You only got one hockey game a week. That was Saturday night. There was usually just one football game a week, and that was Saturday or Sunday afternoon at two o'clock, and especially up there. So it was bigger than life. And, you know, years later, I I got to know Russ. uh, I got to know a bunch of the guys who played in the CFL just through working in the business. And But getting to work in the Toronto Maple Leafs, getting to fly in that charter, getting to be on a team bus, and knowing you know, we're young adults at this point. I was in the late 30s, but I never lost that spark that I had as a young kid in Naranda, Quebec, and to be able to come full circle and be identified with that Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey Club to me was uh, such a personal uh, accomplishment. I was so proud of, and 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 you got to work hard. You've got to have some talent, obviously, but the the key thing is you've got to work hard and consistently hard. And not all days are going to go great. But uh, the passion for sport was always there. It, it goes back to then, but the Leafs, the Ottawa Rough Riders, and then any other sport that transcended that, uh, I just had a natural interest in. Did you have any doubt, Paul, between professionally and personally of falling in love with sport? Was there any, any doubt at one point or another? It's always been there. It's interesting now. You know, I'll get a newspaper, like old-fashioned newspaper, and I don't go to the sports section anymore. I go to the business section. I'm looking at real estate and a whole bunch of other things that just interest me more now. But I'm on Twitter. I, I'm getting all the information that I need following uh, the regulars that I need uh, to tell me what's going on. Um, it's, it's a great time in Canadian tennis. Uh, the weekend between Germany and London, I was watching Shapovalov and AA do their thing. You've got a vested interest in, in how the Canadians are going to do. I never played tennis. Uh, soccer's another one. My wife's family is from Spain. So I, I got over there 35 years ago for the first time, got to see a, a football match in person and fell in love with it. Then fell in love with Spanish football. I, I adopted Real Madrid then as my team and, and I watch every one of their games. So, I mean, that initial passion is 
has transcended into other areas, right? Uh, so there's never been any doubt, Vince, none whatsoever. Uh, I still enjoy it. So yes, any doubts? No, never, never, ever. Love sport all my life. The passion is obviously there. We can feel it uh, just the way you talk about all these different sporting events. And we know you can report it. I want to know uh, how well you could play it. I know you briefly mentioned you were a baseball champ in Northern Ontario. So I want to ask you uh, about just uh, playing hockey or playing ball hockey or uh, any sports. Uh, how great were you athletically? Not great. I, I enjoyed. I played everything. I did everything. I rode. I mean, I did a lot. Uh, but did I do it well? No. I, I brought passion to all of it. I was a decent football player. I mean, decent. But compared to the guys who were really good, not even close. Hockey, I played beer league in Oakville up until uh, I had a bit of a hip injury, uh, road biking, and, and it's prevented me from playing any more hockey. But I just enjoyed the dressing room and the camaraderie. And, and it's interesting, you know, we, I had a few friends. One guy played baseball and a bit of hockey with Bobby Sullivan. He's now passed away. Steve Sullivan's cousin, by the way. Uh, Bobby, uh, great hockey player. You know, he scored 18 goals for Hartford one year, former American Hockey League Rookie of the Year. But it just showed you how hard it was to get to that next level. You know, we had a few guys who went and played Junior A and, and a bit of pro after that. But the NHLers, none of my peer group except for Bobby, that was it. And now I look at my kids and, you know, I see Nick Paul. Nick's, Nick's been a regular around our house when we were in Lorne Park, Mississauga. My son played football with Nick. Played hockey and poor credit with Max Domi. And it's just, it blows me away. And to see what these guys are accomplishing now. And uh, I mean, you had to look really hard, like amongst, I don't know if you guys can say, hey, I played with a guy who played professional sport. Not many of us can do it. I, I mean, I, I know a few guys uh, that played well and won Vanier Cups. Um, Steve Ackroyd, a year older than I am at Lauren Park, he won a great cup in 83 with the Argos. He was a safety on that team. Um, but man, oh man, oh man, it's, it's not easy, but my kids, they can start ripping off names left and right of good friends and athletes that they played with in various sports growing up in their neighborhood who are now either in the national hockey league or, or the Canadian football league. Paul, so play on Canada. We hope to return in 2022. If it all works out, why should it come back in your opinion? Well, we're going to be healthy again. We're turning the corner. Like it's a long corner, but we're turning it and it's damn right. Like, why wouldn't we be back to that? We're going to come back. This new normal is going to give way to a new normal. That evolution's taking place. We're all getting vaccinated, most of us anyway. And uh, uh, to see where we are a year ago, to see where we are now, a year from now, game on. What about yourself? Uh, just to spend the day uh, playing some ball hockey, uh, you think we could count on you to show up and maybe show us some of your moves? No, no. I, I tore my ACL in 1979. I do not have the mobility to do that thing without my knee flipping out. But, I, you know, I coach. I can help. I can offer support. But those sort of things. And, uh, and I work out a lot. I walk a lot. I do a lot of hill climbing and stuff like that. But road hockey is a, a younger person's game. It's it's just a younger person's game because you can get hurt playing road hockey. And I've seen it and it gets vicious and it gets choppy and pounding on hard. Skating's one thing, but man, road hockey, that's not easy to do. I enjoy watching it, but it's not easy to do. And those days for me, 
they're well in the rearview mirror. I'm, I've chosen other chosen other uh, physical challenges. Out in Vancouver, got to do the gross grind with my daughter, which is really great. And she's just a goat. She's such great shape. But to have her literally drag me up the uh, the mountain and climbing and thinking, this is what the Sedins used to do all the time, right? It's, it's not easy. But I was very happy to get it done, even with a bad hip. Quickly, Paul, before we go, if we gave you the keys to the Toronto Maple Leafs, what would you do? It's a tough question. Yeah, it's not that tough. We got to, Deep down, I don't think Freddie Anderson's back. So you've got to get a legit second goaltender. Jack Campbell's been great, but he's going to need help. Continue to improve defensively on that blue line. Try to, try to stay big in some regards, um, bigger and younger, and try to find that. Jason Spatz is great. I'm so glad he's back. But developing a third-line center somewhere, somehow, has got some size and can skate. I don't know if it's going to be Pierre Engvall. I don't know if it's going to be Kerfoot. I, I love both those guys, really. They're great players and good, good people. I still wish we had Nazem, even with all his, his, his faults. Uh, I still wish Nazem were playing in Toronto, but he's not here. But I, I, I so anyway, just bigger and stronger on the blue line, and uh, and I think the kids up front that'll take care of itself. Ovechkin, Eiserman, I tweeted this. They were 32 years of age each when they finally won a Stanley Cup. The only difference is now you can't. Get, it's hard to keep those stars on a team for that entire length of time. But it just shows you how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup. Two of the greatest players of all time were 13 and 14 years in the National Hockey League before they finally won a cup. And if those guys were traded earlier, it never would have happened. So to all you people in Leafs Nation talking about trading Mitch and trading Austin, zip it right now. Just zip it. And that is all the time we have. Paul, we can't thank you enough. I see the words that that play on. We're all in this together. And every time you talk, that's how I feel. We're all in this together. So, Paul, thank you very much for doing this. Great to speak with you again. And all the best to you and your family. Thanks, guys. I spoke too much, but I appreciate your interest. Thank you. Final thoughts. We just spoke with Paul Henrik, former broadcaster of the Toronto Maple Leafs from 1995 to 2020. What are your th- thoughts on our conversation with Paul? Well, first off, like Paul, uh, he's a guy that he gets it, you know, like he understood how to succeed in uh, in media, journalism and and being a part of a business. And uh, he really like his points on how to be successful. You know, they made sense, you know, like there wasn't like a special trick or a kick to the can for it. It's just uh, just being a general nice person of being well aware and uh, that's what I thought was really cool. It's awesome to hear how Paul, like uh, he was a guy that brought that lunchbox and hard hat to work every day. You know, he was a very hard worker and that's what really like kickstarted his career made him so good. It's just, he was relentless and trying to be get better, which was very interesting. And uh, it, it was cool hearing uh, back of the day about how he worked for 25 cents, I think for a day, which is like, crazy considering a minimum wage is like what 14 bucks now 15 bucks so uh it's quite the jump up for that uh not to age him by any means but uh yeah it's safe to say that he you'd be making a little more money nowadays and uh again just his wealth of knowledge like you mentioned in the intro vince this guy is just incredible he has a very active sports mind and uh he could recite names and stats and years like you wouldn't believe. So that that was incredible to listen to. You can tell he practiced a lot. 
in his broadcasting career. When you listen to him, he's just pin perfect. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's what he preached. You know, you have to work hard. Uh, You know, there's the age old saying where the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. Right. So that's so you got to be able to put in some work to get successful. We have a little bit more time here. So we don't do this often. So let's talk about the Leafs offseason. I, I believe Paul mentioned that uh, he wants to see the Leafs get big, still be bigger on the back end on the fence. So there was that and a second goaltender for Jack Campbell. I asked Paul at the end, if you if you had the keys of the kingdom to the Leafs, what would he do? What would you do if you had the keys of the kingdom with the Leafs? Well, I'm pretty sure they're not handing me the keys anytime soon, and uh, for good reason. <laughs> you know, it's uh, honestly, I don't really know what I would do if I had uh, full control of the Leafs right now. Thankfully, they have some bright minds that are going to be able to do that. But uh, you know, they definitely need another goalie because uh, they currently do not have a backup. And uh, you know what? I, I'd let their young guns shine. You know, the rookies they've been marinating throughout the developing over the years uh, i'd definitely let them take a take a shot at it and i'll definitely add a, a little more grit and sandpaper to the team i i agree with everything that you said i would like to see another top six guy to replace hyman and i think that would be very difficult considering the cap uh with the least right now so if we can get a replacement for hyman i'd be very happy but we'll see what happens. We have a couple of weeks to see what this team's about. And I think it's the last chance. It's the last chance for them to win. If they don't, there may be some significant changes. Yeah. And that's all we have for you. Episode 7 of Playoff Canada Podcast. We'll be back on all the episode next Thursday. Make sure you follow us at Playoff Canada on social media. Because we have lots of clips for you and exciting content there. Have a great week. We'll see you next Thursday. Bye-bye.